Coming up on episode 227 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the 2022 Lexus RX 450H, the 22 Jeep Compass, Tesla stops playing games in motion, the F-150 Lightning battery size, solar roofs on cars, selling EV parts, and speeding up EV charging. All that and more coming up next. Did you know you can support Wheel Bearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. This is episode 227 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abul Samet from Guidehouse Insights. And I am Nicole Wakeland from Autobytel. And uh, I think Roberto on this morning after Christmas must be sleeping off a tamale hangover. Mm. Uh, we haven't seen him yet today. It's still, <laughs> still early on the West Coast. I know he was, I saw pictures that he posted of uh, making tam- fre- making fresh tamales the other day and it got me Yum. really hungry. Oh, uh, I've never them. had fresh tamales. That oh, would be good. Never so in my good. life. I, are they I good? Love tam- I love fresh tamales. Oh, that sounds really good. But uh, anyway, uh, yes. <laughs> enough of that. Uh, enough of the food talk for now. Food. Uh, what have you been driving this week? I am in the 2022 Jeep Compass Trailhawk. Um, and... The compass is all new for 2022, so they made some changes. They updated how it looks on the outside. They did some interior upgrades. Um, what didn't change was the engine. It's still a 2.4 liter. Four so it's not liter. really all new. No, it's well, kind it's of all new. kind of new. It's partly new. It's 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 moderately new. The moderately new 2022 Jeep Compass Trailhawk. <laughs> <laughs> um, so engine, 177 horsepower, 172 pound-feet of torque. There's a six-speed or a seven, uh, nine-speed automatic, depending on the trim you get. The Trailhawk has the nine-speed. Uh, transmission is fine. It's not a lot of power. It's it's it, you know you smash the gas in this. It's a decent-sized little crossover SUV situation. It'll get up to speed, but it's not as aggressive as I would like it to be. I feel like it could use a little more oomph. So if you're looking for something that has that little sort of a stronger acceleration, it's not that this doesn't go, but it doesn't go with great enthusiasm. How's that? Um, So, (laughs) so that, you know, and there is no option. That is the engine that you get, uh, regardless of which trim that you get. One of the other new things they did for this year, there is a new, and I obviously didn't drive this trim. There's a new Latitude Lux trim. Uh, that's sort of like a fancier trim level. It sits between the Latitude and the Trailhawk, if you look at their trim ladder, uh, so that you have one more fancy trim. The nice thing, though, is whichever one you get, they did make the interior nicer. They upgraded a little bit. They changed the dash layout. Um, things look and feel a little nicer. The The Compass used to feel a little down market, especially when you looked at some of the other Jeep offerings, which just have these beautiful interiors, whether you're looking at, you know, the, the fancy schmancy Grand Wagoneer, or you're just looking at a Cherokee, or even looking at like the Wrangler and like some of the trim upgrades you can get in that. The Compass didn't really have that, but now it's, it's looking pretty good. I feel like they did a nice job upgrading that. Um, also on the list of things that you can have in the um, infotainment wise, there's an 8.4 inch screen that's standard or a 10 point, 
depending on what I looked at, Sam, I got two different numbers. It's either <laughs> 10.1 or 10.25. I don't know. So we're going to go with 10-ish. A 10-inch ish screen um, that's actually really nice to use. It's And it has the latest version of Uconnect. I've always been a fan of Uconnect. I think it's one of the easier systems to learn. And I think it's one of the easier systems to navigate. And even if you're the passenger who's never set foot in an in a Stellantis product in your life, you can sit down and use it and not feel like you're just, I don't know what to do. I can't find anything. It's a pretty intuitive system. So I like it. You get wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto on this one. You've got dual phone connectivity on my trim. And again, not all this is standard because it's a, I had the 10-ish inch screen with some of the upgrades. The smaller system doesn't have some of the standards, the smaller screen size. But I like the infotainment and, and I've always liked it in this, you know, and it has a touch screen, Sam, which you hate and I love. So um, there's no wonkety little controller touchpad on the center console. Um, also, because this is the Trailhawk, it gets a little extra stuff. Now, you don't think of the Compass as being the most off-road capable Jeep out there, but if you get the Trailhawk, you you could do some off-roading in this. Um, the regular 4x4 system, um, you just... You, doesn't have a low range. The Trailhawk, you get a low range. Also, you have select terrain that normally is auto, snow, and then a sand and mud mode. In the Trailhawk, you also get um, a rock mode and hill descent control. Uh, so that gives you a little bit, it does give you a little extra capability. And you get some extra stuff in there too. The ride height's a little bit higher. Um, you get some skid plates, you get red tow hooks, which is like a Trailhawk thing. They always have red tow hooks on the front. So they do some, you know, they, there are some upgrades. It isn't like every Trailhawk, it's not just for looks. They actually have things that will make it more off-road worthy. Um, if it wasn't just a, a uh, like giant hellscape of snow and ice, like literal ice that's an inch thick everywhere right now, I might be tempted to take it off-road. But I just see myself just skidding down an incline and never <laughs> never getting my car back ever when, again. When you, when, you, when you got ice, there's only so much that you know a fancy four-wheel drive system can do. That's you, the you thing. You need like you there's know, serious there, tires to handle. Exactly, that. there's no grip on the ice. You just it doesn't matter what it doesn't matter how capable you are, which is a thing. Like you know, driving in New England, you get snow. All these SUVs are all like, yeah, we got four wheel drive. We're out there. We go and do our thing. But then as soon as you get ice, it's like whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> this is not the same ball game. And we got ice from Christmas Eve until even this morning it's just now beginning to melt off the trees but it was that kind of ice where you can't get into your car you have to like bash the the, mm -hmm. the ice to get in so we've just had really icy roads it did handle great yesterday driving when we went to christmas um it was fine on that sort of icy icy slowy mix i felt a couple times when the wheels wanted to slip but then they find their footing pretty fast um so it did give you a little bit of extra confidence i i liked how it drove in really terrible weather like the kind of thing where you have like we had you know 10 car pileups because people were just skating across the ice and couldn't stop um so it was capable in terms of just a bad weather vehicle not necessarily an off-road thing very capable bad weather vehicle uh, so overall i like it uh i like i said i'm not super keen on the powertrain because it just it doesn't have enough oomph to it it needs a little bit more in terms of cost it uh we're at thirty two thousand five hundred. with the extras that i had on there there's like a convenience group a sudden sound group a tailor toe group uh, mine topped out at thirty eight thousand three hundred and ninety five sam any guesses on destination it'll make you cringe uh i'm gonna say on the compass uh seventeen hundred Oh, 
Oh, you were a little high. It was oh, one thousand. Really? Yeah, one thousand five hundred ninety-five. Only a little high. Oh, okay. So yeah, so, so bargain. It's off by a hundred bucks. Yeah, by a hundred bucks. So, um, Price is Right though rules you would have lost because you went over. That's true. That's true. Right? You, you should have come. So Close, uh, closest without going over. Co- closest without going over. So, uh, but so overall, I mean, I like the Compass. It's not my favorite of the Jeeps. There's a lot of competitors out there. I think what you do get with a Compass that you don't necessarily get in this segment and necessarily at this price is you do have the genuine off-road capability if you want the Trailhawk. There's other off-road capable vehicles that are going to come in at this range but as far as the size and everything you want that sort of smaller kind of not really not as big as a Cherokee you want something a little bit more compact uh this fits the bill overall I like the compass I think the upgrades they did were good I think the you know it looks a little bit more in line with the rest of the Jeep brand on the outside what they did in the front a little upgraded interior the upgraded infotainment is nice and yeah if you want to go off-road if you want to do you you really can do it in this little guy uh, you know the the closest direct competitor in the market, I think, to the the uh, Compass Trailhawk is Ford's Bronco Sport. Yeah, uh, it's very similar in size, mm-hmm. um, similar overall specs. Uh, although the you know the Bronco Sport, you know, you have the option of the the 1.5 liter turbo is the standard, which is similar power output. It's about 180 horsepower to the the 2.4 and the and the Jeep. But you also have that 250 horsepower two liter EcoBoost that they offer. Yeah. Um, what I mean, you've you've driven the Bronco Sport. Um, yeah. You know, what? How would you compare this against the Compass? I feel like in terms of because you know just to make sure everybody really gets it, the Bronco and the Bronco Sport are very different vehicles. So like the Bronco Sport isn't just like, oh, we made a smaller Bronco. It is not as capable as the Bronco. So I don't want anyone to think I'm... Yeah, the the Bronco (laughs) Sport is based on the same platform as the Escape. Right, Whereas so the, it's it's the big Broncos a, a body on frame, you know, shared with right. The so, because sometimes people get confused by this, and they're like, "No, these are entirely different animals." So, it makes it's like a Mustang and a Mach E, you know. Yes, like very yes, they both like have they, a pony. Yes, very different vehicles. Exactly. So it's kind of like that with us. So, so, but it does make sense to compare the Bronco Sport to this. I think. In terms of how they drive with that that more horsepower engine, you it's more you get more oomph and it's more fun to drive the Bronco Sport with that. Um, in terms of off road capability, I feel like they're pretty well matched until you put the Trailhawk in there. Once you put the Trailhawk in there, I feel like the the Jeep feels like to me it's a little bit more capable. It feels like it has a little more robust. Um, I don't know what the ground clearance it looks to me, and I haven't looked up what it is for the Bronco Sport. It's looking at it, it, it feels like the Compass because I know the Trailhawk actually gets more than the rest of the lineup too, and I don't the know off the ground ground clearance on the uh, Bronco Sport um, is seven point eight inches on the base and the big bend seven point nine on the outer banks. And so it's a decent amount of ground clearance. That would yeah, be but I wonder. think I think the the Jeep is a little more. I think it's about eight and a half. Yeah, it feels like just looking at it. I'm trying to pull up specs as we're sitting here right now. It feels like you might have a little bit more ground clearance in the Compass. So if you were, you know, if you're really crawling around off road and you want to make sure that you have enough room to get over stuff, that's my guess. I'm scrolling down this giant sheet. I'm going to find it when we're not even talking about this anymore. Oh, it's actually but about the same. So the the four is it? the tra- uh, oh sorry no the Trailhawk is 8.6 inches. The, okay. the regular four-wheel drive, the non-Trailhawk four-wheel drives are 8.1, so they're a little little bit more. So and it's a little bit extra. Almost, so, almost an inch more with the Trailhawk. Which which doesn't seem like a lot until you've got something that's just barely sticking up and is you know going to hook you up. So I feel like I would go 
between the two, if I took Trailhawk out, I, I don't know. I'd almost go with the Bronco Sport for that more powerful engine. But if you want the, the off-road capability, even with the engine not being as, as nice in the compass and as responsive, I think I would still go with it if, with the Trailhawk if off-roading was my thing. Yeah, I mean, for a comparison. I've, I've driven the Compass a couple of times on the, the off-road course at the, the Chelsea Proven Grounds. You know, the Stellantis is Proven Grounds uh, right. west of here. And, you know, it's it's got some pretty serious off-road chops, you know, driving it through, you know, 20 inches of water, you know, mucky water, um, right? you know, going over logs and boulders and things like that. It, it's got some pretty serious off-road capability, you know, despite being, you know, a crossover, you know, it's based on a car platform, right? Um, and you know, it does it does well, you know, it does well for itself, uh, you know. And I think you know, generally, anytime you get anything from Jeep that has a Trailhawk badge on it and those red tow hooks, you know, you can be fairly confident in its abilities to to go, you know, most places. <clears throat> right. Obviously, it's not going to be quite as capable as a Wrangler, um, mm-hmm. but you know, it's still it's still got plenty. I think. The you know, one advantage that the, the the Bronco Sport has is it is taller. It's got a taller roof than the Compass does. Mm-hmm. So you know one of the things that, that Ford has touted with the Bronco Sport is the ability when you fold the back seats down, uh, you can get um, a bike rack that that goes inside, and you can put two mountain bikes. Take the you know take the front wheels off. You can put two mountain bikes inside the Bronco Sport because it's right. tall. The roof is tall enough. You can't do that in the uh, uh, in the Jeep. Um, right. On, you know, on the other hand, you know, I think you know the Jeep, you know, has a, a much nicer, a, a much more upscale feeling interior than Definitely. the Ford does. The Ford, yeah, you know, it's predominantly hard plastics. It doesn't feel as premium. Um, you know, it's certainly solid, but it doesn't feel premium. You know, and you can you can certainly get the Bronco Sport into the same mid to upper thirty thousand dollar price range, mm-hmm. and you know, the Jeep, I to me feels like it's worth more, you know, just in terms of the materials and the fit and finish, um, than the, uh, the Bronco sport does. I agree. It's, and that's sort of like a, to me is a, a Jeep thing. Like they, you know, Jeeps aren't cheap vehicles, you know, they're not inexpensive, but the interiors, even when you go to their base models, the, the base trims in any model, they do a really good job of making them where they use less expensive materials or spots where either you don't feel it or touch it so often, or you're not staring at it so often. So what you're seeing always looks nice and what you're touching feels nice so it's not like everything in there is covered in quilted leather or anything like that but it just has an overall more upscale feel and it has a lot to do with like you know choosing where to use nice materials and where to say well let's make that plastic that little bit plastic I feel like they do a better job of that than Ford Ford's interiors as a rule again tend to feel a little bit more a little cheaper even when it's not like oh the quality is terrible if you compare it it's probably very similar in some regards it's just choosing where to use those less appealing visually and tactily materials jeep does a really good job about deciding where to put those so that you feel like you're in a nicer vehicle and you know it's it's funny that's a decidedly post-bankruptcy thing for stellantis slash fiat chrysler you know prior to 2009 
you know, <laughs> their interiors were terrible. They were awful. The first generation Compass. I don't know. Did you ever drive one of those? I don't know if I ever drove it. Was it terrible? It, it was, was it awful? It was a pretty horrendous vehicle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, hard plastics. You could see flashing marks, you know, where it came, where oh, plastics geez. came out of the mold. It it was not good. Oh, man. And, you know, the, the powertrain was even way worse than, than <laughs> what it is now. Uh, you know, and... After the, after Fiat took over after the the bankruptcy reorganization, you know, in the span of about eighteen to twenty four months, you know, by two, by twenty eleven, basically the entire you know Chrysler, Jeep, Ram, Dodge lineup had their interiors completely revamped, and you know while they weren't perfect, they were a huge step up, and they've continued yeah. to get better ever since. Um, and I think you know this the the, the current Compass is is a good example of that. A good example. Yeah. And like the, the little tweaks they did this year, it was already looking, it wasn't looking as good comparatively as the rest of the Jeep lineup and the tweaks that they made. It's like, okay, let's, let's up this a little bit. It's, it's slipping behind and they did, they brought it up. So now it, it, it feels and looks better than it did. Um, so yeah, I mean, and I generally, you know, I like it. I think I, you have to weigh it. The, the, the value proposition is the one where you can get kind of sketchy. Like if you're looking for, again, for the off-road thing and you want the Trailhawk, sure, go for it. But if you're just looking for a crossover, well, you know, there might be better options out there that are more affordable that do the same thing. But if you, you know, Jeep. But it's a Jeep. It's a Jeep. It's a little Jeepy Jeep. I mean, how can you not love the little Jeepy Jeep? So, yeah. All right. Um, so I had uh, a very different kind of crossover this week. I had the 2022 Lexus RX 450H F Sport Blackline. Uh, I think that's all of the suffixes it had on it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the, I mean, the RX, you know, the current generation RX has been around for a while. It's it's probably nearing the, the end of its current model cycle. I, I would guess probably in another year or so, <clears throat> we'll see a, a new redesigned RX. Um, yeah, you know, this one was in, in a, a new color, celestial blue, which I thought was quite an attractive uh, shade of blue. Uh, the the it's, you know, I've never been a huge fan of the RX. Um, it, you know, it's it's nice, but it's you know, nice. It's, <laughs> Lexus, you know, it's nice. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's got it's it definitely has the things that you expect of a Lexus. It's quiet. It's smooth. Um, you know, the, the hybrid, you know, is, well, actually this, this is the one area that's kind of disappointed me the most about this one this week, this, having, driving this one. Um, it's, uh, the, this one has a 3.5 liter V6, um, that they've had in, in the RX hybrid for quite a while now. And, uh, it's, uh, paired with, uh, you know, a Toyota Lexus uh, hybrid drive unit at the front and then an electric motor on the rear axle. Uh, and it's EPA rated at 30 miles per gallon combined, 31 city, 28 highway. And I've only been averaging about 23. And it's not like I've been really? driving this. Yeah, I have not been driving this thing particularly aggressively, just driving it normally the way I, I, I always do. And I usually get pretty close to the, the EPA label numbers. And this one is yeah. just not doing it. Uh, you know, I mean, we've had, we've had, you know, it's been a little on the colder side, but it hasn't been frigid, you know, yeah. and cold temperatures, you know, tend to be more of a problem for, for hybrid, uh, for hybrids. Cause you know, the batteries don't have as much power when they're cold. Uh, but still, you know, I mean, there's lots of times when this thing's, you know, I can see, you know, on the 
cluster. It's you know driving in EV mode, and yet it's still only averaging about 23 miles per gallon, which is not especially impressive, you know, in a vehicle in this this class, this segment, you know, this, this kind of midsize crossover segment. Um, you know, 22, 23 miles per gallon is fairly standard, even for for standard gas versions. Uh, you know, this does have this does have plenty of performance. Uh, that's not an issue. But and and I I you know in pa- in the past when I've driven the RX hybrid and I've I've driven it a couple times before in the current generation it's definitely done better it's done closer to you know twenty seven twenty eight so I'm I'm a little surprised I'm not quite sure what's going on here this one does have the F Sport package on it um, you know which probably hurts it a little bit but the, I think the last one I drove was also an F Sport so this has got twenty inch wheels um, and uh, uh, black painted alloy wheels. Uh, which are part of the the black line package, I think. Um, And the infotainment system in here, you mentioned earlier a touchpad. This still has the dreaded Lexus touchpad, which is just a really terrible interface. It's it's not good. It's awful. It just isn't good. No matter how much they change that, you're like, hey, it's really better now. You're like, nope, it's just bad in different ways, but keep trying. But for, fortunately, no. you know, as I said, you know, this this particular generation mm-hmm. probably only got about a year, year and a half mm-hmm. left on it. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, when the new one comes out, it will adopt the same new infotainment system that's in the new NX uh, that we've that you've driven. Which uh, is which much is better. Way, way better. Yeah. Far way superior. better. Yeah. Um, you know, this is still the, the two-row version. They do offer a slightly longer-bodied three-row version of it, but frankly, don't. Just don't. If, if you're thinking about an RX, just don't. If you if you need a third row, get something else. Yeah. You know, don't don't get the RX three the RXL uh, because that third row is just it's too small to be useful for really anything. Um, just get the you know if if you if you're interested in a two row you know this is a, a good choice. Um, otherwise you know there are there are much better choices for a three row crossover. Yeah. Um, and. You know, so it's, this is in the same size, class, and weight, and everything as something like a Lincoln Nautilus, um, the uh, Infiniti QX50, uh, things like that. You know, I mean, if you want a three-row, the QX60 is a much better choice than, mm-hmm. than this one. Um, but this this is not the three-row anyway, so we don't need to worry about that. Um, the um, you know, it's got all the usual accoutrements in there. You know, uh, Toyota and Lexus vehicles now have all pretty much have a, a full suite of driver assist features as standard equipment. So that's that stuff is all there. Um, this one, uh, the F Sport, uh, is priced out uh, MSRP of fifty one thousand two hundred dollars, um, all in, including the. Only one thousand and twenty-five dollar delivery charge. Ooh, a bargain! A bargain. Uh, it came to fifty-nine thousand three hundred and eighty. Um, so you know, just shy of sixty grand, uh, which is yeah, it's it's a lot. It's you yeah. know, it's it's not an inexpensive vehicle. You know, the RX hybrid starts at forty-eight thousand uh, for the, the the base trim level. Um, you know, I think if you if you like the the design great um you know it i think it's it's not a it's not a bad design you know i think it's better than the previous generation was you know i I don't mind the way it looks um but i think it is getting a little long in the tooth 
compared to you know some of the competition um mm-hmm. and you know we will i think we'll be seeing a new one sooner rather than later and in fact uh we should be seeing the uh the rz uh which uh is the lexus branded ev crossover off the same platform as the new uh subaru Solterra and the toyota bz4x terrible name uh, that, that uh they've they've lexus has already released teaser images of that one and we will probably see that one sometime uh before the end of 2022 uh so you you might want to consider holding off and, and maybe taking a look at the rz instead of the rx as an alternative yeah um so you know the it it's it's a Lexus, so it's going to be reliable. It's going to be high quality stuff. There's not going to be any rattles and you know things falling off the thing. You know it's going to run pretty much forever. Um, and I think in most cases, you know, my current example aside, you know, they they generally have pretty pretty good fuel economy. I'm not sure what's going on with that's this so weird example. that you're having issues with fuel because normally you especially Sam you. You're pretty spot on to whatever it's yeah. supposed to get, regardless of the kind of car that you're driving. Right, and that's that's why I was a little surprised that you know to barely be getting over 23 with this one. That's um, weird. But otherwise, you know, it's it, it's a good you know premium crossover if, if this if that's what you're looking for. Yeah, I, I think it'll you know it, a large part of the problem that you're seeing with this is just that it's it's due to be given some serious attention and it's so it's it's falling behind where other lexus vehicles are right now and like you said with that infotainment that's just god awful yeah. it'll be better with the next one they just haven't gotten there yet so you're looking but at least it has it does have android auto and apple carplay support but it's wired so you do have to plug it in, plug your phone plug in. it in so yeah. i mean at least it's there but i think yeah it, it, this feels like one of those vehicles like okay it was probably great a little bit ago now it's falling behind a little if you give it time until it is whatever its next incarnation will be it will probably be really good again but it's it's a little bit yeah a little bit lackluster in some respects right now yeah i mean it's, it's a competitive marketplace out there um, yeah yeah and there you know there's a lot of a lot of really good options uh out there today you know including from you know from jeep you know, as as an example, I mean, yeah, we talked about they're they're getting much more premium than they used to be. Uh, yeah. You know, something like the uh, the Grand Cherokee. Uh, you know, especially with the new you know the four by e that's that's coming up early in the new year. You know, right. The plug in hybrid. Uh, you know that that might be a something that you know a Lexus buyer might want to take a serious look at. Right. Yeah. Because it does it it it's and it's it's surprisingly premium how Jeep has gone. So yeah. So there's competition for the RX coming from all quarters right now you know yeah. it's not a segment where there aren't a lot of options there are a lot of options so to to make any vehicle lexus or anybody's competitive you you have to step up your game and you have to keep it current i just think they haven't i don't think the lexus is like neglecting this or anything i think you know you have no, it's, a, you it's have just, a cycle it's just, and it's it's just not there yet it's like oh it's it's hitting that spot where it desperately needs it but we're not quite there yet yeah. you know there's you know there's there's always a product cadence for everything you know and yeah. there's a time when it's fresh out of the factory and there's a time when it's been on sale for four or five years and you know the rx is you know at the the far end of that that scale yes Mm -hmm. um and with especially with a lot of a lot of new evs in a similar kind of market segment coming out you know there are a lot of interesting options you know that's really like the big challenge there are so many evs coming out that sit right in the same segment to be a hybrid 
and to not be like a really stellar one for whatever the reason. It's like, well, you've got other hybrids, you've got other non-hybrids, and you have other EVs that all compete in that same little segment. It's like, oh, this segment is super competitive, you yeah. know? All right. Uh, let's talk about some of the stuff that's been happening this week. Um, okay. Stay with, stay with infotainment for a minute. We talked last time, I think, about uh, Tesla uh, allowing passengers allowing passengers to play games on the infotainment <laughs> You didn't see the, Sam's air quotes, passengers. While, while the vehicle is in motion. Um, the uh, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration uh, got uh, a little bit uh, concerned about that and um, sent uh, some letters to Tesla and said, hey, what's going on here? Uh, you know, threatened to take some regulatory action. And mm -hmm. so Tesla promised to push out a uh, an over-the-air update that disables the playing of games uh, while the vehicle's in motion. Um, you know, I I think you know, the the fact that they ever allowed this in the first place to me is just a sign of a really bad culture within Tesla. Uh, you know, from an from an engineering and safety standpoint, you know, this. It's just, just, just never have happened. Yeah, uh, you know, there's a, the whole thing with the info with infotainment in general, Tesla's included, is that it lets you do stuff that, like, you you think about all the things that you can do that are allowable on an infotainment system while you're driving. That if you've ever tried to do sometimes yourself, or you've watched the person driving as you're a passenger, and they do something that's reasonable, they're trying to change directions or they're trying to hit play or whatever and you think okay we're we're gonna go off the road now look where you're going and you think those little tiny things how often they can distract you and screw you up like to give someone the opportunity to to push it even further and to play a game <laughs> like think what it does when you're doing the stuff you sh you are okay to use on infotainment and how it can screw you up the potential there for it to be a screw up when you're you're not really the passenger and you're playing a game yeah, that that it, it seems like it's a step too far. You want to say we're all really reasonable, responsible grown-ups, right? And nobody's ever going to play a game on their Tesla infotainment screen. They, who would do that if they're driving? And you're like, ninety uh, percent of people. <laughs> yeah. Like, when you when you look at how people use their infotainment systems and their phones, ninety percent of people are going to use it the wrong way. Because like, what? How do you ever even go a day where you don't see someone with their phone up in front of them doing something as they're driving? Like you yeah. can't even go to the grocery store and not run into that. So what, you know, it's a given. People are going to break the rules. So I think it's a good idea for them to lock that out because I just think it, it the potential for people to abuse that is just huge. I mean, I, I actually really like that they've done things like incorporate video games and um, you know media streaming services into the infotainment system. Yes, you know, because you know an EV. You know there are going to be times when you're sitting there waiting. Yeah. To, for it to charge, and you can sit there for half an hour, 40 minutes, right. whatever. You know, having something to occupy your time while you're sitting there, I mean, you know, you're not always going to go do your shopping or whatever while, while you're waiting, especially if you're on a road trip. Um, right. And so having something that you can do while you're sitting there is great. I think that's that was a brilliant idea to put Netflix and Spotify and, and you know, those, the, you know, the games in there. But just don't do it while the car's in motion. It's exactly. just a bad, bad idea. I agree. I mean, I think it's fine to have that stuff there, but I just don't, there's some things you don't, you know, 
you don't need to have that while the car is in motion. You just, you just don't. It's, it just opens up too big of a can of worms and the potential for drivers to, to get themselves in trouble. And like I said, we have enough ways that drivers get themselves in trouble with infotainment as it stands. So like to give them the ability to like stream Netflix or play games and do some of these things while a car is moving. It's like, guys, no, yeah, <laughs> don't, don't do that. <laughs> All right. Um, Staying with, with EVs, uh, actually, I think pretty much all the stories we have are somewhat EV-related. Yeah, They okay. are. Um, this week, we got uh, confirmation on the battery sizes for the F-150 Lightning, which is launching in the spring. Um, production should be kicking off probably probably sometime. I think they're, well, they're doing, they've been doing pre-production vehicles for a while now uh, at the plant in Dearborn. They've, they've been building prototypes there on the assembly and using this assembly equipment um mm-hmm. and full production i think is scheduled to kick off sometime in february um but uh when i saw the the uh lightning when i got a backgrounder last may before it was revealed you know they they wouldn't tell us at the time how big the the batteries were they only talked about the expected range of about 230 miles for the standard range 300 miles for the extended range um and you know so Working back from that, I did some estimating that the standard range battery is probably going to be about 115 kilowatt hours, and the uh, extended range is probably going to be about 150 to 160. Turns out they're actually smaller than that. They're only 100 kilowatt hours for the base model and um, 131 for the extended range, which means that this thing, you know, if they actually hit those uh, range targets that they're talking about, is actually quite a bit more efficient, energy efficient than uh, than the Mach E, uh, and definitely more efficient than I was expecting it to be. Which is kind of a nice thing and a good thing. Mm-hmm. Like you want to see that the the more that we can get out of a battery without having to be absolutely ridiculously gigantic, the better. So I guess that's a good thing that they're whatever strides they're making in their engineering and their battery technology that they're able to get more out of it. They didn't say anything, and I'm scanning down this story. The nothing changed range wise, right? Range no, is no, they what haven't. They said they haven't range said. is right. Yeah. Okay, so theoretically then. That would be the next thing. And next week, no. <laughs> Our story is the range has changed. Now, if they can keep those ranges with those batteries, that's pretty impressive. And that's that's a good thing. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, the, the range estimates that they've had for the Mach-E, you know, have been, you know, the real world range has been pretty close to, you know, the, mm-hmm. the estimated range. Um, so I would expect that the, the Lightning is probably going to be pretty similar, um, you know, that it, that it should, you know, at least hit those range numbers and, you know, and, nominal uh use cases um which is which is good yeah because you said you know the batteries are the single most expensive component in an ev and you know if you can get the range that you're looking for with a smaller battery then that's less weight less materials less cost and that's probably how ford is hitting that forty thousand dollar starting price for the, the lightning pro um you know with that with that standard range battery uh, and they, you know, they claim that they're not going to be losing money on that. They say that it's going to be, you know, at least break even to, to slightly profitable. So that's, yeah, I think that's a good thing. Are you excited about the Lightning? Are you super I am. excited I'm, about I'm, this I'm, truck? I'm, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I think, I think that this one is going to have, um, you know, because the F-150 is such a huge selling vehicle that, you know, and, and, you know, because Ford is also putting a lot of emphasis on the, the commercial users for this one, uh, in addition to consumers, you know, I think that this 
this vehicle is actually going to have a real impact in the marketplace, you know, in a more mainstream segment of the marketplace, not just early adopters, you know, who are, you know, the type of people who are, you know, largely going for new brands like uh, Tesla, Rivian, Lucid, and, and others. Uh, but, you know, for, for the more traditional mainstream market, you know, to have something like this in there that, that those customers, you know, will look at and say, okay, this truck does what I need a truck to do. And, you know, it's comparable in price to the gas version. Um, it's going to cost me less to, to operate it. Um, you know, yeah, I'm going to go for it. You know, they, you know, they cut off reservations a couple of weeks ago, you know, when they hit about 200,000. And that 200,000 reservations number does not include the reservation. They've got a separate reservation system that they had for their commercial customers. So that's just retail oh, customers. Oh, wow. Um, and they haven't said how many reservations they've gotten from the commercial customers, but uh, from the conversations I've had, it sounds like there's been a lot of interest from uh, from fleet users for this thing. Uh, I, I found uh, it interesting the number of people that, uh, like, either friends, acquaintances, random Joes who conversations have happened with, that when this truck comes up, both people looking at it as commercial and as personal use that aren't the kind of people you would think, like you said, they aren't those early adopters. They aren't the, oh, I got to have an EV. I got to have an EV. It's the latest tech. They're more like, no, I got to have a truck that does what I need my truck to do. That are really genuinely excited and quite curious about this. Like, what do you know about it? Have you driven it? Have you done this? Have you done that? There's some, there's some real curiosity from a segment of people that I guess would say, I don't think they were curious about the Rivian. Do you know what I mean? Just mm -hmm. because that was too like, oh, new company, whatever. I don't want some frou-frou truck. But suddenly it's an F-150, so it's taken more seriously. It's like, wait, they did this to an F-150? Well, maybe this is actually something to pay attention to. And I think that's a good thing for EVs. And I think it's going to, like you said, it could really move things forward for the segment and for, pe for getting people into EVs and the commercial use. The potential there is just huge. Yeah. yeah, and you know, and, and Rivian, you know, to the credit, has not really targeted the same right. buyers as yes. you know, an F one fifty or Silverado or Ram. Uh, right. You know, it's a it's a smaller truck. You know, it's a, it's, right. It's a lifestyle truck. They 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 admit that. Um, yeah. And so, their you know their their customer base is is very different. Is very different, but it's still but it just draws like you know there's you hear people interested like you know when you're traveling and chatting with people at airports and things like that and when you know they see what you're doing or what you're writing up and you talk about cars there's certain vehicles that you know the people have heard of or haven't heard of and Rivian is one of those maybe you heard of it maybe you haven't you mm -hmm. know um, but like everybody's heard of Ford. Everybody knows what an F-150 is. And it, it really has piqued people's curiosity in a unique way to, you know, is it really a truck that can do this? Is it, is it, is it still going to be a truck? Is it still going to feel like my trucky truck? Or is it suddenly this little EV cutesiness? It's like, no, it's, it's a truck. Like, and I, I just like seeing that people are genuinely curious in a new way as opposed to just like the fanciness of saying, oh, I've got EV tech. But EV tech in in my truck and they really you know two great tastes that taste great together does that really come together and i'm like i yeah i think it's going to <laughs> yeah you know? and you know we've uh, in about a week and a half uh from now uh gm is you know chevrolet is going to take the wraps off the uh the silverado ev mm -hmm. uh which is you know going to be competing with this thing it's you know it's the most you know one of the, the most direct competitors to the f-150 in the, in the gas truck market and you know we can't talk about the Silverado yet. Um, that's that's coming up January fifth, 
But uh, it's going to be a very interesting marketplace uh, to, to see what happens with electric trucks over the next few years. I, I'm curious, too, and, and not with anything that's out there that we may have heard, but, you know, in general, the F-150 that's out there right now and the Silverado that's out there right now, the F-150 interior looks so much nicer. I feel like F-1, that Ford folks did a better job, and I'm curious, you know, like, you got to step up. I feel like Chevy has to step it up to bring the Silverado to the same level there. So I'm, I'm, yeah, because it hasn't, their interior wasn't. Well, the, the 22 Silverado, you know, got an upgraded interior. and It did. And, and it, it, it definitely looks better. It looks um, better. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like I said, we can't talk about the, the Silverado EV yet. Right. Um, but there's, there's stuff to, there's lots of stuff to say about that. Yes, and we'll, there we'll will be stuff we'll, on episode yet to be determined. <laughs> there will yeah, be thoughts. <laughs> two twenty eight or two twenty nine, depending yes, on the timing. Yes, it's that close. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, <clears throat> solar roofs on cars. Uh, there's a, a company uh, out of Europe called Lightyear that is getting ready to launch um, a car, something called the Lightyear One, a sed- an electric sedan uh, that has. Uh, solar panels on the roof and uh, on the hood <coughs> excuse me and uh, um, they claim you can get about seven miles an hour uh, of charging from the solar panels uh, which uh, you know I think maybe in ideal conditions that might uh, might just be possible yeah I'd like to see you pull that off right now in New England where there's yeah. three minutes of sun and endless hours of snow <laughs> have, have you ever driven the uh the sonata hybrid with the solar roof? I feel like I did at one point maybe maybe kind of sorta yeah <clears throat> um you know i i I've definitely had that one and I had it in the middle of the summer and um, and um it generated some juice for the battery. Um, not, not a whole lot, you know, after sitting out in the, in the direct sunlight for, yeah. you know, most of the day, um, mm-hmm. you know, the hybrid battery was, was pretty much full, which is about far enough to go maybe about a mile and a half in EV mode. <laughs> um, you know, the, the idea of putting solar panels on a car to, you know, to collect energy from the sun while it's sitting there not being used is in theory a great idea. I love it. it. I have, I have, right. n- I have no problem with it conceptually. Mm-hmm. The reality is, though, that you know when you when you look at a house with solar panels, or you look at a solar farm, you, anywhere where you see solar panels installed, there's a good reason why you never see them installed in a horizontal position. They are always tilted in the general direction of where the sun is going to be through most yes, of the day. They because are. Solar panels generally, you know, they, they have a fairly narrow angle, uh, you know, of what the sun's rays hitting it. You know, once you get beyond a certain angle, instead of the sun's rays generating power, they basically just reflect off. Right. And then they're useless. They're just glass panels that you're carrying around. Yes. Uh, that are adding weight and complexity. I know. That's what you wonder. Like, you get seven miles, where they say seven miles an hour of electric driving or seven miles of electricity per hour. So, okay, cool. But how much are you losing on the times when it's not generating anything because it's a horrible cloudy day and you're carrying around this this really heavy roof and hood? It's the hood of the car, too. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Which, and all and how how okay, so having driven behind a snowplow that was uh, that was sanding with small boulders coming out of the sander thing, yeah. how how hard is it or how easy is it to just completely destroy the hood? I mean, you can't anything well, I mean, just, just anywhere think of how where there's how your windshield looks after, you know, six or seven years of use. Right. You know, all, you know and then you're driving into the sun, you just, you see all these little pits, you know, right. after being sandblasted for, for several years. Right. What's that going to do to your hood, which even takes more of the brunt of that than your windshield because it's low and it's right at the ground and every last little pebble that falls off of a construction truck or a sanding vehicle or whatever is pinging off your hood. How I'm scanning down the story. I'm like, I'm not seeing anything about the hardiness of these or what they've done to keep them from getting, I guess, the roof a little bit more. I can see that surviving better. But that hood, I keep looking at that hood. I'm like, no, that hood is doomed. That is doomed. It goes right down all the way to the front. No, mm-mm, no, well, that's and, breaking. You know, when, when you look at this car in profile, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a fairly attractive car. It's very yeah. aerodynamic. You know, mm-hmm. it slopes down at the front, slopes down at the back. You know, so the air flows over it nice and easily. But the problem there is, again, is you look at it, and it's not like you even have you know a lot of horizontal panels, solar panels. Mm-mm. You know, they're all at different angles. So yeah. most on at any given moment of the day, depending on the position of the car relative to the sun. <laughs> Half of those panels are going to be pointed away from the sun. Instead it's going to be like one little piece. Like at any given moment, you have what point? Like twenty percent of your panels are actually going to be. I'm making up a number, but like we're actually going to yeah. be able to get sun and generate anything. Also, it has those covers. I don't know if any other vehicles ever remember the Honda. Was it the Insight that had the little half moon mm-hmm. cover things? I don't know if anything. I associate them with the Insight. I, I don't know if anyone else has done them, but those were. Those are also like doomsday devices in the winter because when you go through snowbanks and stuff, you you destroy those. Yeah, they just like rip off and look the, horrific. The, this 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 would be uh, you know a car like this would be a great car to drive in warm sunny climates. California, you know, cl- much, so much, Los much Angeles, close, much closer to the equator. Or, so or LA, we have yeah, California. We have a new car for you. It is the Lightyear One, uh, but only if you're in Southern California, no place where there's ever snow. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and uh, at the LA Auto Show, you know, you know, we saw the the Fisker Ocean, you know, which is a a nice you know midsize two row yeah. SUV that's also going to have a full solar roof uh, option on there, uh, you know, and it's you know that one at least is more horizontal, you know, so. Um, you know, if, if you're driving that thing around in California, you'll probably collect more light from that one than, or yeah. you know, more power from that than you might from. And it's also not, one. it's not the hood. Like the roof yeah. freaks me out enough, but the hood is just making me cringe. And I now have scanned further down the story. The price, the price in this particular article says it's expected to be Sam one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars. One seventy five. Yep. Oh sure, let's buy two. <laughs> yeah, see, that's, I, mm, so those people aren't, so if you're spending $175,000 on a fancy limited run, because this first run is only going to be 946 first edition models, at $175,000, you don't care if you have to take that in and have it fixed, because you have the money to spare to fix your broken solar panels on your hood? I guess. I guess? <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I think this, you know, this, I, I Actually, one you know, I was talking with somebody the other day. Uh, I, I did an interview for uh, Marketplace Tech on solar roofs, 
Mm-hmm. When we were talking about this, and one of the areas where I think this actually make probably makes a lot more sense than on cars and, and SUVs is on trucks, on long haul trucks. Yes, you know, because you've got this large flat area, you know, on the top of the trailer. You can cover that in solar panels, and especially for things like refrigerated trucks. Oh yeah, um, you know, and have some batteries on there. And instead of having you know, a diesel um, auxiliary power unit, which is what they typically use on those things to drive the refrigeration system on a refrigerated trailer, you just cover that thing in solar panels and use an electric uh, refrigeration unit uh, and a battery. That would actually make a lot more sense. That would be a lot. That would have a lot more impact. Um, on overall energy use and emissions, I think then. And I can like see that application. Water. That makes sense. Like I think I'm not. I'm not anti uh, solar roof. I just the applications. Your brain is like, mm, is this the right way to do it? But yeah, I can see that would be a great idea to put it on a commercial vehicle on a truck to act as like the refrigeration unit instead of having to do diesel that. And it's also that's a huge surface area. So you'd have. I mean, that's vast as opposed to. The tininess of the roof, even if you do the roof and the hood and like the truck, like all the way, all the top surfaces of your vehicle, not even remotely close to how much surface you'll have on the top of a truck. That would be cool. That'd be a good idea. All right. Um, GM wants to sell EV parts, uh, you know, which is, I think, kind of funny. Uh, When I I wrote this up the other day, uh, you know, back before the late 1990s, GM used to make most of its parts in-house. Uh, you know, almost almost everything. You know, except for like tires, basically, and really? glass. You know, most most of the stuff that went into GM vehicles was made by their various parts divisions, which were all under various Dalco brands like Dalco Remi, Dalco Moraine, Dalco Electronics. You know, they had all these parts divisions that, in the late 1990s, they bundled these all together um, under the Delphi brand which they then spun off somewhere around 2000 or 2001, I think, as a, as a separate company. They basically divested all of their parts-making capabilities into a separate company. And that, that company went through a long, like, five-year bankruptcy reorganization a few years later. Eventually, you know, it now the remains of that, you know, a lot of the, the various businesses either got shut down or sold off mm-hmm. to other companies. What's left of it now exists as Aptiv which is focused on electrical and electronic architectures and and driver assist systems. Um, And everything else is is gone. But now as GM and other automakers, legacy automakers are getting into EVs, they're going back to making a lot of parts Hmm. in-house, making motors and batteries and stuff in-house. And one of the things GM wants to do is they want to be able to sell these parts to anybody that wants to use them. And so they're really pushing, you know, they've, they've done a couple of deals this year, uh, with their fuel cell technology um, for long-haul trucks with Navistar. They're working with um, a European company on um, uh, aviation uh, using fuel cells uh, and um, also on locomotives. And they want to offer their batteries and motors and electronics to basically anybody that wants to buy them. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're looking at things like... Um, uh, you know, the, one of the first things they're doing is selling uh, the uh, conversion kits for older cars, you know, for resto mods. Using I think that's awesome. I, I want to see like, like they have here an El Camino with like an EV to convert it into being an EV. That would be awesome. I yeah, they, 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 they showed this one at SEMA. Yeah, this, yep. our, uh, this is one of their most recent ones. It was actually built by uh, Lingenfelter 
who does it looks a lot awesome. of aftermarket stuff. Uh, for I Gina. want those to be EVs because you pull up to those like anything like that. These vintage cars on the, you know, when they're next to you at a stoplight or whatever, and the good gravy, the smell of the exhaust, and then you're like, oh, I could just feel the world dying around it, and just have it to be quiet, little happy little EV. That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> did Did you watch the uh, HBO series Watchmen? Yes. One of one of the one of the interesting details in there, you know, I don't know if you ever read the graphic novel or saw the original movie, but you know, one of the the things that happened in the original story was uh, Doctor Manhattan had come up with some I forget what the details were, but came up with some source of electricity um, that was basically limitless and you know no emissions and everything. And right. so in the in the HBO series, all the cars they drive around in are uh, you know, modern or even you know, vintage. Like the main character, um, whose name escapes me, um, the the cop. Uh, she was driving around in a black Buick Grand National, but when you see it, you realize, wait a minute, that thing doesn't sound like a Grand National. It's, <laughs> it sounds it's electric. All the cars in there were electric, and so it would be you know cool to actually be able to make that happen. You know, so you've got yeah. cars like like this El Camino from Lingenfelter. You know, and GM also, you know, uh, they're working with Textron. Text, one of Textron's divisions makes uh, ground support equipment for air, uh, for airports. Uh, okay. You know, like the, the, the belt loaders that they use to put the baggage in the cargo holds of the airplanes and the tugs they use to move the, move the aircraft around. They want to electrify those using GM electric motors. So I think. I think it's it's cool that they that they want to do this. I um, think it is cool. I'm looking at this picture. I think that's. I was gonna thinking it was stairs, like the stairs that drive up to an airplane. But I guess it's actually you is could like do that a too. Baggage loader. But all I can think of with this image sitting there is Arrested Development with all the money's in the <laughs> banana stand. Like I see that, and I'm like, oh, it's Arrested Development. No, it's not. This is actually nothing. But that's what that will forever remind me of when I see <laughs> yeah. a picture of those by themselves. <laughs> Uh, excellent. Uh, let's see. And one last one. Um, Volkswagen, uh, you know, has start, you know, last year started launching their, their ID lineup of electric vehicles. They launched the ID three in Europe, the ID four, which we have here now, uh, they're bringing out the ID five, the ID buzz, and, and there's more coming. Um, and apparently, um, they in Europe have started rolling out, uh, an update, uh, to those vehicles, um, an over-the-air software update, <clears throat> which is increasing the um, charging maximum charging rate uh, for these. So right now, they're limited to 125 kilowatts, excuse me, maximum charge rate, and they're bumping that up to 135 for standard models and 150 for the uh, ID5 GTX model, uh, which is. Uh, the sportier version of the, the ID5, which is a coupe version of the ID4, which we don't get here. Um, right. But um, you know, presumably they will continue to do this. And I, I think this is one of the interesting capabilities that we have now with these modern vehicles with over-the-air updates to be able to improve some of these capabilities like the, the charging speed, maximum charging speeds. Um, you know, Ford already on the Mach-E has pushed out an over-the-air update uh, for the Mach-E that changes the, the charging profile. So, you know, one of the complaints with the Mach-E was if you're using doing fast charging, um, when it when the battery gets previously when the battery got to 80% charge, mm -hmm. the uh, the max the charge rate would drop from 80 kilowatts down to 10, which right. is basically the same you get at home. 
Right. Uh, and they um, they changed that so it now goes to 90% before it steps down. So, you, you know, if you're doing a road trip, it's much more convenient. You can get much right. more charge into the car before it starts to slow down. Yeah, this is, uh, looking at this, it says it'll uh, cut charging times by up to nine minutes when charging from five to 80%. That's pretty significant, like mm-hmm. nine minutes. Like you said, if you're, especially if you are doing a road trip, if you're chopping 10 minutes off every time almost you charge your car, that's a big deal. Yeah. That's actually pretty cool. I, and I, it is It is sort of, I know EVs, you know, 10 years ago were very of the future, 15 years ago or whatever. But just the idea that they can, over the air, make your car cooler than it was when you parked it in your driveway last night. It's just really kind of neat. It's neat that they can make these improvements that are, that they don't, it doesn't cost you anything as a consumer. You're not paying, like, I need an extra, here's $2,000, give me the new and improved. Nope, we're just going to boost this out to you. Boom. Your battery's better than it was. Your charging is better than it was yesterday. Like, hey, okay, thanks. And, and that's can, cool. Can, I mean, that's one of the things we can thank Tesla for. I mean, that's one of the things that Tesla did really well was yeah. over-the-air updates, you know, and enabling, a, you know, using an electronic architecture that can do that. Um, and now, you know, other manufacturers are using that. Of course, yeah. not all of them are using it in ways that we would actually like. Uh, like, for example, Toyota. I can't remember. Did we talk about Toyota's OTA update for remote charging last week? No, I don't remember. Oh, Was I- uh, yeah, I, I think, okay, I, I don't think we touched on this story. <clears throat> um, so this, this actually came out last week um, where... Uh, Toyota vehicles uh, from 2018 onward um, have the ability to, and actually, you know, a lot of Toyota vehicles have uh, built-in remote start capability using the key fob. Uh, but you can also, and this is also true of a lot of manufacturers, you know, if the vehicle's got connectivity, um, you can also remote start it using an app from your phone. Right. Uh, so, you know, cold days, you don't have to go outside and fire it up you can just do it from your kitchen table while you're eating your breakfast and warm up the car um they are uh changing that so that now uh or they uh when you bought the vehicles when you bought those vehicles they got came with three years of complimentary uh connected vehicle services and so you got that charging capability for free you know as as part of when you bought the vehicle okay now as that three-year time period is coming up, um, they're saying, okay, now you have to pay um, $8 a month if you uh. want to continue to use the remote charging or the remote start capability. Except that it's not just for the using it from the app with connectivity. It's also for the key fob, which is not actually oh, using no the, the network so at all. It's, fob- it's, so it's your doing key it directly fob no to the longer car. functions the way that it. Oh, that. Okay, so you can I get still the, lock and unlock with your key fob, but if you want to uh, turn on remote start from your key fob, you have to pay eight dollars a month. Okay, no, that's not cool. I get, no. I get the doing it with the app. I get because there's all sorts of things that you subscribe to for your app to have extra access and this and that and the other thing on there and all sorts of different functionality that you can subscribe to that all of the OEMs have mm-hmm. things that you can and, do and there, you can you know, get there more. Are, there are legitimate but, costs associated with that, you know, for the, the data costs and, right. um, you know, bandwidth and everything else. And I so, get that. But, like, for your key fob, your key fob is your key fob. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, That's a stinker. I, oh, I, I dislike. I, 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 Thumbs down. Yeah, I don't like absolutely. that. Oh, so, that would be that would make me cranky if I, I'd be like, wait, okay, fine. I'll lose being able to do it on my phone, but I can't even use my key fob to do it anymore? 
And this this is one of the things wow. you know, every, everybody wants over the air updates for their cars. Well, get used to having mm-hmm. to pay for subscriptions for all these kinds I, of features. And I know, you know, forward. I know that they're going to do that. Like even as I was saying, it's great that they'll update things. And I know there will always be some things that they will probably just update and say it doesn't matter. We're just updating it. Here you go. It's free. Yeah. And then there's going to be things where it's like, hey, we have this capability, but if you want it, it's going to be X number of dollars. But that seems like more than that. That's not just. I think what makes that feel like like bad form, it's not just, hey, we have a new thing that we can do. If you want the new thing, it will cost you this much extra. I'm kind of okay with that. I'm not okay with, hey, we have this thing <laughs> that your key in your hand does. We've changed our mind. <laughs> it won't do that unless you pay us $8 a month. That's not the same. That's taking stuff away from me that I... No, mm, I don't yeah. like that one. Yeah, that's tough. That's a tough pill to swallow. Edward. We're going to see a lot more of that going forward, yeah. mm-hmm. unfortunately. Yeah, you're probably right. All right, let's answer some questions from the readers. All right, readers. Let's start with Coach Cabrera. Uh, he says, as federal and state subsidies for EVs uh, expire, what is preventing them from becoming a niche market instead of mainstream? Most people will be turned away by these $40,000 pricing levels. Oh, gee, it, what's the question? So is it... So, it you know... We've already seen Tesla and um, GM hit the the cap on right. EV tax breaks, uh, the two hundred thousand sales cap, and so now if you buy an EV from Tesla or GM, you no longer get federal tax credits on those. Okay. Um, yeah, and other manufacturers are going to hit that threshold in the next oh, couple and of years. Good- and and because you know it doesn't look like the Build Back Better Act is going to pass with expanded tax incentives for EVs, as those tax incentives go away. You know what's going to prevent them from just becoming a niche product instead of going well, mainstream? In a way, I mean, they're kind of niche now because even with the incentives and things, EVs can still be pricey, depending even even affordable EVs. And you're still looking at like, you know, and it depends on the state, I guess. There's not a lot of incentives in New England, but um, I don't think there's anything where I am in New Hampshire really. But you still have to, you know, pony up the cost to get. A, a charger, a level two charger installed at your house, which is something that, you know, is, is an extra chunk of change, you know, to have an electrician come out and run wires and do whatever. So I think there's always been a certain, like, cutting out people whose incomes are tighter just by the nature of EVs right now. And because it's not like you, you know, you don't have EV chargers everywhere. You don't have one in your house. So there's there's extra cost associated with that that will not ever be associated with owning a gas vehicle right now. Um, I don't know. I think... It might slow it down a little, but I feel like people who are going for EVs at this point, it's like, okay, maybe I'll pick EVA that still has a you know an incentive as opposed to EVB, which doesn't. It might change which one you get a little bit, but I feel like people who are going in for EVs are going to go in for EVs. And I feel like there's more and more people that are ready to accept that, and the fact that they may or may not get an incentive is not going to stop them. I think that... It, and it is, as there's more out there, you know, how many EVs are there are coming? How many EVs have just been introduced? The, the cost, the pricing on those is, is going to come down, you know, as, as there's, it's no longer just, okay, you have all these crossovers, like everyone's introducing these crossover kind of things because crossovers are a big deal. Well, as you start to get that same kind of stuff going into more, you know, a cheap sedan, which, you know, the Nissan Versa equivalent of an EV or like a Leaf or something, you can still get into these things pretty cheap if you want to. Your selection is much smaller. Um, I don't I don't know that it's going to 
make them a niche market. I don't know that it's going to keep them from, I don't know that it's going to change them becoming mainstream any faster or slower. I don't know. What do you think, Sam? You think it's going to slow it down? No, I don't because, uh, you know, battery prices are coming down. As we said, you know, batteries are the, the biggest cost driver in an EV. Uh, the prices have been coming down steadily for the past decade and will, will continue to, to drop in the coming years as volumes go up. Um, and the price of the EVs is is coming down. Uh, you know, yeah, most of them today are still you know forty thousand dollars and up, but there are there are cheaper ones. You yeah, know, you can get that Kona EV <clears throat> starting at thirty four thousand um, dollars, right. and that's before incentives. You know, so you know with the seventy five hundred bucks, you're down you know in that twenty seven thousand twenty eight thousand dollar price price range. Uh, GM has said there's going to be a thirty thousand uh, dollar Equinox sized crossover coming uh, in the next couple of years. Um, there, there's going to be a lot of these vehicles, a, a lot of EVs, you know, that are going to get down to that 30 and, and sub $30,000 price point over the next yeah. couple of years. Up, you know, up until now, most of what we've seen, yes, has been more premium, more expensive. But a lot of what's coming out is actually going to be priced pretty comparably to the equivalent gasoline vehicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, the F one fifty Lightning is an example. Yep. You know, you compare the you know the you know equip you know comparably equipped against a gas F one fifty, and they're in some cases cheaper. You know, the base the base F Lightning Pro is you know a couple of grand cheaper than a four wheel drive crew cab F one fifty XL. So we you know we will see more affordable EVs coming, um, and I think that that will. You know, even with the incentives potentially going away, um, you know, we'll st- we'll still see adoption of those vehicles you yeah. know, in increasing numbers, and especially when you consider that you know the cost of operating those vehicles, you know, uh, the cost for electricity is a lot less than the cost for gasoline. Yeah. Uh, then you know, it it just it's people will eventually come to that realization, and and we will I think we will see them continue to grow. Yeah, I don't. I I agree. I don't think it's going to change things that much. So. All right, <clears throat> Gupta AJ on Twitter asked, uh, "Do GM and Ford still have lots of unfinished trucks sitting in storage oh. and waiting for parts? Uh, are they currently like Toyota that's shipping Tundras as soon as they come off the assembly line? Uh, there are still some. Uh, the numbers of unfinished trucks are shrinking because they are, in some cases, they're shipping them." minus certain features and yes. you know, telling customers that as soon as they have the parts available, you know, they can bring them in and they will retrofit them. So, you know, things like, you know, some of the, the heated seats or uh, features like super cruise and, and some other, some other options that they're leaving out the ECUs for those. Uh, and then, you know, once the parts are available, you'll be able to bring them into the dealer and, and they will um, they'll, they'll, put those parts in and, and you'll get that functionality back. Um, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're trying to ship as many as they can. Um, there's still some, you know, some out there, but not as not as much as there was back in June and July. They're making every effort, I think, to come up with solutions. Okay. If we can't ship it right the second as we want it, how can we at least ship it? You know, so they're they're and they're, they're working with it. You know, it's, it's, it's going to be a little while before things are normal, but they're, they're, it's getting better. Yeah, slowly, slowly. Um, Brianna Wu asked, uh, drive and enjoy a sports car in the snow or treat her like a garage queen and lock her up. In oh, the snow. Absolutely drive it. In yeah, the I mean, snow. You know, depending on, depending on how much snow 
you know, and how much ground clearance you have, obviously that's, that's a factor. Yes. Uh, but you know, yeah, put winter tires on it, drive it in the snow. Put winter tires on it. I'm a big fan of Blizzx. I love those things. Put those yeah. on your car. Get out there and drive. Your only obstacle is is if you have a very you know sports car, generally low. So if you have that snowbank that's a foot high, well, in your SUV, not a problem. In your sports car, you've just buried your nose in the snow. So you have to be a little bit more cautious of that. If it's actively crazy snowing and there's big berms of snow as you cross from one street to the next, otherwise, take it out there and drive it. I think the only time I wouldn't is if I had some like crazy highly collectible, you know. Limited edition 1952, whatever. Like collectible cars, no, because that means you guarantee some guy's gonna, you know, scrape the bejesus out of your car as he comes barreling through an intersection. But otherwise, take your sports car, enjoy it. Yeah. It, you know, it I, goes, <clears throat> I was saying it goes right along with the idea that like people that buy China and Crystal and only use it at Christmas and Thanksgiving, no, enjoy your stuff. Use yeah. your old your stuff all the time. If why have it and just leave it locked up? Enjoy all the stuff all the time. Yeah, I mean, do, you know, do a little research and, and find out how susceptible your car is to corrosion. Yes. Uh, you know, some you know some older cars are more susceptible to corrosion. Right. Like first generation Miatas, you know, did have a tendency to rust if exposed to salt, and so I don't drive my Miata in the wintertime. Um, but Fair. you know, I you know, in the past, you know, when I had a, a Mustang, you know, a couple couple of different Mustangs, I drove those things all year yep. round. I put winter tires on yeah. them. Uh, we put winter tires on my daughter's Toyota 86 a month ago. Uh, put some put a set Very of Blizzaks on there, uh, and you know it, they're fine. Uh, you know as as long as I'm, I'm trying to get. I'm trying to get winter tires onto my uh, charger, my rear-wheel drive charger, and we had an appointment. Here's the 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 uh, sort of labor shortage of the day. Literally, the poor guys at Pep Guy Pep Boys called me this morning and said we can't put them on. I'm like, oh, what happened? He's like, not one of my guys would come in today. He didn't have a single guy who was willing to come into work. He's like, I have to call 17 customers today and tell them all we can't do the service they had scheduled because we have. So you know, theoretically, tomorrow they will be on the car when I've tried yet again <laughs> to get an appointment. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, no. As long as you know the the ground clearance of your car is is adequate for the amount of snow you have, and you put some proper tires on it, there's no re- you know there's no reason to to keep it locked up in the in the yeah. winter time. You know, dry, Go have fun it's meant with to be it. driven. You know, yes. My my first job out of college um, was working for for Delco Moraine on ABS systems, and the first project, the first vehicle I was assigned to work on was the Lotus. M100 Elan. No way. And, and we had we also had uh, an Esprit that was uh, already in production with the ABS system that uh, we had as, in our fleet as a as a demo car. And you know I spent lots of time driving those suckers in the snow and ice. Nice. That was one of the fun things about working on ABS and traction control in those days. You know, is, yeah, you have to go take like go take these you, out on the worst roads you can find. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> you know, we, in the in the wintertime we had north test, in the summertime we had south to hot places. Yeah. To find the most extreme. That would be fun. Yeah, uh, that would be yeah, really so, fun. So I mean, I've I've, I've driven a, a Lamborghini Diablo on a frozen lake in northern Sweden. Nice. Uh, you know, on, a, on a snow and ice pad. Uh, you know, I've driven driven the Elan and Esprit around the Upper Peninsula of Michigan in in February. So, Very cool. It, and you know, as long as, as long as you got the right tires, right, it's, it's a blast. It, it's yeah. a hoot. And, tires. You know, it's 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 again one of those things where um, you know, like driving a slow car fast is better than a fast car slow. You know, the limits you know for a, a sports car. Are going even with good tires are going to be significantly lower yeah. than um, you know on dry pavement. Uh, so you know you can 
you can get the get the back end uh, coming around. Yeah, you know, be careful. You know, be uh, you know, be responsible. Don't be responsible, don't do grown up, but have a little fun. <laughs> yeah, don't. You know, I mean, you know, the you know Isaac Newton's first law of motion. You know, still applies. You know, it, it, it has not yet been superseded. Um, you know, F still equals M A. Uh, still equals mu N. So, you know, if you have less mu, you're going to have less force. Uh, <laughs> that but, was the most engineering thing you've said in ages. That was brilliant. <laughs> but you can, you, can have a, you can have a blast and, you know, make sure you, uh, you know, take along a, a toast, throw a toast strap in the trunk uh, so that if you, if you do get stuck, you know, you can get some help. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe put in a couple of those, uh, uh, I forget what they're called, you know, like traction pads. Uh, like Max Tracks or something. Yeah, you, you know, need Max Tracks in the back of your Miata <laughs> that, you, that you can stick under the, the drive wheels there, and you know, use it to help you get out when you get stuck in some deep snow. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, you know, yeah, go go have fun. Have at it, Brianna. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see, from Wes, he's got a couple of questions <clears throat> based on the popularity and usefulness of front and rear dash cams. Do you foresee them as being standard or optional equipment from the OEMs in the near future? Uh, maybe include insurance discounts. What do you think? Standard dash cams? Um, I can't see them doing... I can't see that. I can see it being aftermarket. I don't think standard... Because most people... I, I mean, I, you're right. They do help you and they and they can. Sometimes you're, you, know, you have that as an insurance issue. Then you can prove that the guy cut you off and you, you know... But I don't, I don't feel like that would be a standard equipment thing. I don't know. What do you think, Sam? I, I don't think so either because it's, you know, it's something that is helpful after a crash for yeah. diagnosing what mm. happened. <clears throat> but it's not really a safety feature that's going to prevent crashes. Right. Um, and as such, I don't see that as something that's going to be mandated. Um, it, yeah, it's it just, I, I, yeah. I mean, some, some manufacturers are building in that functionality. Tesla, for example, you know, you can use the, the forward facing cameras as a, as a dash cam, uh, mm-hmm. that are part of autopilot. Um, and you know, maybe, maybe we will see that. Maybe we will see, um, you know, manufacturers include a bit of storage, you know, today, you know, all vehicles have an event data recorder. So when there's a crash that triggers the airbags, it saves about five seconds of, data, things like your vehicle speed, acceleration, uh, direction, things like that. Um, and that's, that's stored on the vehicle. Uh, you know, it's just a running buffer. Whenever your air, if your airbags go off, mm-hmm. it stores that, writes that to the, to the memory and, and saves that for, for diagnosis later on. Um, maybe we'll see something like that, you know, because most new cars do have at least a forward facing camera for lane keeping assist and right. collision, you know, automatic emergency braking. So there's no reason you couldn't store that data. You just have to add some memory and some software to do that. Uh, rear facing less likely, um, you know. And I don't, yeah. I don't see it. Be, I don't see it as something that's likely to be regulated. Yeah, I don't think so either. Because like you said, it it it, it gives you info after the fact. It doesn't actually keep you safer to begin with. So that's not the kind of stuff they generally regulate. So yeah. Um, and then his other question, uh, as EVs grow in popularity, cities will start to lose taxes from gas sales. Um, well, not just cities, but also states. Everybody, yeah. yeah. And, and the federal government, too. Uh, this will likely lead to higher taxes on electricity. So from a financial aspect, will electric cars become more expensive to use than gasoline vehicles when it comes to energy usage? Haven't Not so much taxes on electricity, but haven't, and I think these are already in place in certain areas where there's an extra tax on EVs to cover the, what they've lost in the gas tax, 
like the taxes that you pay there. And aren't there some pro- proposals where it's like it's going to look at the miles that you've driven. So when you go to re-register your car, if you drove 5,000 miles this year, you will pay an X additional fee as an EV that didn't pay any tax on your gases were gas. Whereas if you drove 20,000, your tax is going to be that much more because you drove 20,000 miles. And, and so not, not changing the price of electricity. So you're not paying more just to do the electricity in your house, but changing how they get those taxes out of an EV I seek happening. Yeah, um, so, you know some some locations do have you know some states do have you know uh, a surcharge when you register your vehicle if it's an EV you have to pay an extra hundred hundred and fifty dollars a year right. on top of your your license plate tags, um, which offsets the lost revenue from gas taxes, um, and uh, you know some you know there have been a bunch of proposals for some sort of VMT tax a vehicle miles mm-hmm. travel tax, uh, which you know that would be roughly equivalent. To a gas tax, you know, I mean, the more miles you drive with a gasoline vehicle, the more gas you're going to use, the more tax you're going to pay, you know. And so, you know, just having a VMT tax like that, uh, you know, because obviously, also the more miles you drive, the more wear and tear you're putting on on the road infrastructure. Right. So, I think I think that that's something like that is a perfectly fair and reasonable thing to do, um, you know, especially you know as EVs become mainstream, you know. The whoever you know, those that are using the roads should should contribute to the upkeep and maintenance of those roads. Agree. I don't um, think it'll get more expensive though. His no. he's a, will they become more expensive? I think they might. There might be less of a savings than there was if they start instituting all these taxes to make up for the yeah. gas tax that you're losing and the extra fees. You know, but I don't think it would take a lot to make the cost of driving that EV more expensive than driving. The yeah, because equivalent. because electricity is still a lot cheaper than even mm-hmm. the base price of the fuel before the taxes on it, yeah. before the road taxes. So just you know the, the the base price of gasoline is still a lot more than the equivalent amount of electricity you're going to use to drive the same distance. And when you uh, think about the other cost savings of having an EV, where you're not doing you know oil changes and all that kind of you know the other things, the maintenance things you don't have to do for an EV that you still have to do for put those into the ex, to the cost on the gas side. It, again, you, that doesn't you never have to pay that for an EV. So it's not you know it's not something that's going to get more expensive. You know there's there's maintenance savings to having an EV that you just, that also add into not just the cost of the fuel, whether it's gas or electric. Yeah. Your your overall cost of ownership is still going to have a significant advantage for an EV versus uh, a gasoline equivalent vehicle. Right. Especially if you're driving bigger, heavier vehicles. Yep. All right. uh, Last, or uh, sorry, two more. Uh, Michael Burns asks, uh, uh, and this is actually more of a follow-up from last time, uh, regarding the question about why headlights and windshield wipers aren't integrated uh, from the previous episode. um, They do integrate. Well, they they do on some vehicles. Some vehicles, Uh, yeah. yeah. uh, Michael's uh, 2018 Ram 1500 has this option in the infotainment configuration for the car, and my 2016 Chrysler Town Country, without the older single-color configuration menu in the dashboard, also has this feature. Uh, Keep it turned on all the time. It's the law in Georgia. So what what he's talking about is, um, you know, whenever the... um, windshield wipers come on, you also want to turn on the headlights for extra visibility. And even though the, the headlights may not necessarily help you see much better, it helps others see you. Right. Uh, and that's that's the same purpose behind daytime running lamps is to allow uh, others to see you better. 
Um, so what uh, what the writer to your show should have asked is why cars are not equipped with automatic courtesy sensors that respond to another driver like me flashing my lights at you for not having for not driving with your lights on in pouring rain. Um, <laughs> there, go make bank on that feature, Bosch or whoever. Uh, that would be a little more complicated to implement um, yes. to do to do that reliably. Um, you know, I I think. You know, just having the the lights come on automatically with the wipers, that's pretty easy to do and yeah. pretty effective. You know, having something that turns on your lights when somebody flashes their lights at you. Um, just Because be, like a, a, a police car driving their headlights flash, like yeah. you know, flashing lights and stuff. So now like you're and, like... And there can be other flashing lights around you. Right, you right. Know, that, that would be really... It, it would be that'd be really tough. It, I mean, it would if be Bosch very has it, do that reliably. If Bosch has engineers that smart, have at it, Bosch. But I feel like that's a yeah. really that's going to be a tough one to overcome that way. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last one. Uh, this is from Drew in Jacksonville, um, and uh, it says the government and some industry players are pushing all EVs. Uh, a bit short-sighted since they are essentially all coal or natural gas-powered right now. I do think that we should be better at using renewable resources, but there is one issue that really gets ignored in most things that I read and hear. Namely, if my future options are only an e-vehicle, how will I charge it? I don't just mean infrastructure and refueling or the current issue with limited range. What I mean is that I live in a house built in the 1990s, and the breaker panel is full and the garage is full. Uh, we have two cars that cannot be stored in the garage, even if we could use one of the open 15 or 20 amp outlets. Uh, when I've talked to Tesla fans, they tout the sentry mode, uh, which is the, the ability that the, the autopilot cameras, you know, to use them as security cameras. I live in Florida. Is the solution to run an extension cord out of the garage to the car in the frequent rain and rely on sentry mode? I live in the suburbs, but they are not without our porch pirates and vandals. Uh, seems very myopic. I have a Ford Expedition, and I think that the F-150 Lightning looks great, uh, but I struggle with the range and the home charging. Well, you can. I mean, you can. The charging cord, like plug that's attached to the level two charger, you can just plug that in outside, and it can be dumping rain, and your car is still mm-hmm. fine. Yeah, I mean, the, the you know, most most of the, the wall charger units that you can get, you know, the 240-volt chargers, are weatherproofed so you yeah. can install them on the side of your house and the side of your garage I and mean, you know if your garage is full and you can't park your cars in the garage i mean that's a that's really that's a completely different. separate issue right that, that has nothing to do with evs um right i know people who have that situation <laughs> uh, you know i have two cars parked in my two-car garage um but uh you know that you know that's a separate issue but yeah you can you can certainly mount you know the the wall the wall box on the outside of the house, um, you know, or or even just have a, a two forty volt um, outlet outside, you know, with uh, you know in in a in a box on the the side of the house or the side of the garage, so you right. can park it outside. Um, you know. And and when he's talking about like vandals, like uh, porch pirates, and he's like, okay, so that they would come what in. Are they what are they going to do, like, pull into your driveway and use your plug to charge their yeah, EV? like, or just be, like, malicious and unplug your car for kicks and giggles? Because they could also just be malicious and do something nasty to your gas vehicle. I don't think that changes the, the yeah. nature of the guy who's a jerk who wants to mess with your car. 
I'm not quite sure I follow that, but you can, I mean, you, you don't need to, an extension cord is not what you're supposed to do. They will, I think every single thing will say, don't just, you know, plug your card in an extension cord. That's not what they recommend. I don't think for a single EV. Same. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not it's really not, safe. It's, and not, it's also less efficient. You're going to, right. And it's not rated to, to do that. So they yeah. would tell you not to do that. None of them want you to do that, but you can, you know, put a level two charger either in your garage or just outside your garage and, and plug it in and, you know, plug your car in and, you know, I guess technically someone could steal your EV charger, put it in the garage and run it outside, you know, run the little plug outside the garage and plug in your EV. Yeah. That would work too. Yeah. You can, there, there's, there's a lot of ways to deal with that. Yeah. Um, the, you know, as far as, you know, if your breaker panel is full, um, you know, I mean, that can, that can be upgraded. There's obviously a cost associated with that. Um, and you know, that can be, that can be fairly costly. I mean, if you're talking about replacing your panel, if you don't have any available slots in your breaker, um, panel, then, you know, that, that can be a few thousand dollars. I think in most cases, depending on how much capacity you have coming into the house and how much you're using, you may be able to add just an auxiliary panel. So you don't necessarily have to replace your entire existing panel. panel. You can add a, a second auxiliary panel just with breakers for your charging outlet. So that's, you know, there are solutions for that. There are, there are ways. I mean, it would that. require, like you have a house that was built in the nineties. I have a house that was built in the seventies. We had our panel replaced years ago just for other reasons, but you know, it's one of the things you, you, as the nineties get further back there, you do have to do upgrades and especially older houses just in general, because of the number of electronic things we have in our home, forget cars, you've got, you know, computers and you've got, you know, your Wi-Fi and you've got everything, you know, you've got three TVs instead of one and you're charging your phones and you're charging your laptop. There's a lot, you know, upgrades are, are required for the usage of electric in older homes. Uh, and I think probably going forward, one of those upgrades, if people were upgrading a panel, as EVs become more and more the norm, I can see it being much more likely that an electrician would say, okay, so when you get an EV or for an EV, you need to do this. Do you want to do that now? You know, I feel like because they make suggestions. And, and the thing to is, that's that's going to be a, a one-time purchase as well. Once, you know, once. You know, one, once you've done that, you know, then you know when you replace your EV with another EV, you don't have to do that again. You, right, it's done. It works. You're all set. You don't have to do it again. Yeah. yeah. And then the the last thing I wanted to address was the the source of electricity. Um, just to uh, be on the safe side, I did actually look up on the. Uh, the Energy Information Agency website, which is part of the, the Department of Energy, um, mm -hmm. the uh, utility scale electric electricity generation in the U.S. in 2020, um, out of uh, four, uh, let's see, four, gig, no, not gigawatt, four, yeah, four thousand gigawatt hours a year, I think. That, that that's what it, I must. Anyway, out of the total electricity utility scale <laughs> electricity that was generated in 2020 in the U.S., um, <clears throat> roughly 40 percent, little uh, almost a little shy of 41 percent of that came from natural gas. 19 percent came from coal. Um, coal has coal generation has been declining steadily for a long time and will continue to decline. We actually had more energy in 2020 generated from nuclear. It was 19.7 percent versus 19.3 from coal. Uh, and 19.8% came from renewals, renewables. So uh, it is moving already. It's, it's already yeah. moving in the right direction. And it's, a sl you know, as things get upgraded, you know, infrastructure upgrades are huge. So as things, as old things sort of 
need to be replaced, then the new things that often come in are more renewable, more, you know, efficient, aren't relying on things like you said, Sam, like coal is just disappearing as those coal plants are being replaced with other better options for the environment. So and, and keep in mind, this is just for utility-scale generation. This does not include uh, distributed energy resources. So it, people that have solar panels on their house, businesses right. that have solar panels you know, on their factories or warehouses or wherever, um, you know, all, all that distributed energy resources is not included in this. So if you add in all of that solar and wind... The numbers wind, are better, even. Um, then you're up closer to uh, somewhere around, I think, 25 or 26% already coming from renewables wow uh and it's it's been growing steadily for for more than a decade now so um you know those numbers will continue to get better um as we go forward there you go all right that's it for this week um and this i think will be the last show for 2021 it will Uh, yeah the, the next one will be uh, a new year, 2022, and hopefully we'll have Robbie back for that one. Yeah. Um, so see you next time. Bye, guys. <laughs>